banter for a while and then not tell Dave that I started recording. And we catch him saying something really you know, horrible. Have you started recording? Maybe. Are you going to turn the music on? <laughs> but Dan can't hear the music. Dan, I'll sing it. Do it. I'll sing <laughs> I mean, it for you. Yeah, I, I need to feel warmed up. I need a little... All That's right, what I all right, need. All right, hold That's on. That's what I need. I cannot get okay. in the mood without the music. I need, I need some walking out music. <laughs> So, anyways, we're not going to get it, Dave. You just got to just do it. Just put it on like you had it before. Everything was going great, Dan. You can chill out for about oh two two and a half minutes until we bring in the intro. No, dude, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Let's just go. <sighs> we just got to. We got to do this. Uh, otherwise, my computer might crash. We might not get anything. So we got. Can can you can you pull it together? All right, let's go. Can you pull? Folks, uh, it's Dave Fitch and Jeff Holesclaw. We're here at Theology on Mission podcast. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but my mood's a little <laughs> off right now because uh, Holesclaw couldn't come through with the music and he couldn't put it all together. He, You actually promised me coming in here. I tried. I've got it all worked I out. Tried. Everything's going to be perfect. What happened? No, we could hear it, but Dan couldn't hear it, and that was a little inhospitable. I thought we, we were all about Dan hospitality. Dan does not need to hear the music. Yeah, Dan needs it, to hear the, the music. The music is for the people no, and it's for, for me. You. It's obviously just for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw the music in post-production, and people will be like, I hear the music, and, and they won't know why we're making a big deal about it. Anyways, we're glad to have Mr. Dan White Jr., uh, somebody out there who has always uh, intrigued me, uh, fascinated me, uh, uh, stumped me. Uh, first met him on Twitter with some of his uh, beautiful uh, in, and compelling statements about life, church, and mission. Then I ran into him in life, in real person, at conferences. And then uh, he wrote this book. He wrote a book. Have you heard of his books. book, Holesclaw? He's very prolific. Oh, yeah. Most recently, uh, first of all, you know, I just need to ask something. Do people call you Dan White Jr. regularly? Do they got to put the junior on the end? This is like whenever I talk about you or I'm like, is it Dan White Jr. or can I just say Dan White? So could you at least speak into this? Well, yeah. I mean, I have a global reputation and a local reputation okay. and they're different. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're All different. Right. Global, global is Dan White Jr. The local's Dan. <laughs> it's so, just Dan. Uh, yeah. I but, mean, I my dad is a senior so that is a way we kind of differentiate yourselves yeah yeah but dan white jr you've you've let's just go into an intro here you you've planted a church with some other uh pastors and families uh in in syracuse uh you've cultivated various communities and diverse neighborhoods you're now a church strategist and leader with the v3 church planting movement uh, you're co-founder of that thing called the Praxis Gathering, which meets every September in Washington, D.C. for all kinds of incarnational church planters. Um, is there anything I've missed, Dan? Oh, and I am a Dallas Cowboys fan to the core. And, and you're her- a dad and you're married to a wonderful I'm a woman. I'm dad. I, I got uh, two. I got one. I got two kids. Well, I'll tell you about the second kid right now. We just brought a newborn into our house that was abandoned at the hospital oh, um, wow. about a month ago. So I'm not sure how to explain 
that situation, but right now we're caring for a little one. So I have two in the home that I'm I'm loving on. Awesome. So, but I've, been, I've been married for 18 years. Yeah. All right. Well, we're so glad to have you on the podcast, and we're here to talk a little bit about your book, Subterranean, Why the Church, Why the Future of the Church is Rootedness. That's his. That's his older book. Dan's so well, prolific that we're actually Dave. If you you know if you knew anything, <laughs> we're actually talking about the church as movement that yeah. just came out a couple months ago. But we can oh. talk about both. I mean, Dan is. So I thought we were talking about Subterranean, a book uh, where, by the way, I wrote the afterward too. So this is like the other episode where you don't tell me what anything's about, and now this is the one where you don't know what we're talking. All about. All right, I just follow along with whatever you guys want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> I like that Subterranean book. I want to emphasize it's a great book and encourage everybody to buy a copy. All right, well, Thanks. let's start there. You can grill him about his other book, and then we'll jump into The Church as Movement, which you co-wrote with uh, J.R. Woodward, which yeah. is really great. It's a manual, and you can kind of tell us about the history of that. So, Dave, tell us about The Subterranean, and then we'll have Dan tell us about his Well, I think book. the great thing about Subterranean is it's a book that uh, written about, you know, how to plant church uh, organically out of a neighborhood, um, and it's not about starting with a Sunday service and a list of programs, and, and and it starts with the neighborhood, and then it comes organized out of those those practices, those rhythms. So, Dan, uh, is there something uh, that is the same for every neighborhood? Uh, something that let's say is continuous, uh, that that can, something that's continuous that defines what church is, or Tell us how this happens, this kind of reverse way of organizing church. Yeah, uh, I mean, the subterranean is, is more memoir uh, with some, obviously, some instruction kind of peppered throughout. But it's, it's a transition from uprootedness, uh, church as, as kind of uprooted, and even my own self as uprooted. And then transitioning towards what does it mean for me to root personally, but also to cultivate a church that's rooted. So I think I think you have to uh, identify first, you have to deconstruct how in some ways we've been living very disembodied, disconnected, uprooted lives with each other. Uh, even how the ego thrives off of being seen and being known through very uprooted ways. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the first half of subterranean is really me confessing my temper tantrum of struggling with uh, just being seen and acknowledged and celebrated and affirmed for um, my personality and uh, my stage platform presence and my ability to produce programs that people would consume and love, um, and then really in some sense coming under some conviction. Uh, that I was not really connected to my neighborhood. I didn't know my neighborhood. I didn't see my neighborhood. I wasn't even identifying myself as one being in the neighborhood. Um, so I think that's the first step is to uh, identify some ways that were displaced and disconnected and um, want to live above place. Um, uh, so, that, I mean, that's where I would start. I think that's a common... Uh, that's the, that's probably something that continues into into really every church plant or wherever they're planting is how are they trying to be known and seen and and, and successful above the place that they're actually rooted in. So yeah, and so you do talk a lot about uh, how the leader has to be chastened from these uh, yes. these mega church, large church expectations. How your ego has to be uh, uprooted, as you say, from that place. I'm seeing yeah. this dynamic 
happen all the time now with uh, young younger church planters uh, yeah. or or church uh, pastors that have been brought into a system of mega church large church structures and they just get burned out very very quickly they're yeah. realizing ego egocentrically they're seeing my ego has become centered around certain results that really yes. don't mean much in terms yeah. of the kingdom of god have you got yeah. something you could just say to cuz i meet them all the time and they need to be told you are fine you are normal this is actually the normal transition uh that we're expecting more and more pastors to make as we go from a christendom centric church to a post-christendom rooted engaged missional incarnational church have you can you just yeah. say something to those pastors right now yeah i'm a good good theology uh, has to look at Jesus, and Jesus was humbled uh, in his work uh, in carrying out the kingdom of God. So how can we expect to not go through that same process? It says that Jesus earned the right to be called high priest. Um, to earn the right was was through his own humbling in the Nazareth neighborhood and in, in, a, in a place uh, where God embraced his own limits as a person. And so any leader that thinks that they can somehow bring about impact in a city without being harangued and humbled and all their idealism having to be, be beat up and bruised in order to be able to be in a place uh, is is arrogant. And yeah. <laughs> um, now, now here's here's the problem: we have systems that will allow us to live into that arrogance and will celebrate us and acknowledge us. And and that's my story. I I I live that. Um, so it's not like there's a corrective in the system. I mean, it actually celebrates that that type of leadership. Um, but here's the beauty of it. I think that uh, embracing your limits in a neighborhood and, and even embracing your your what that world change to change the world is to embrace um, the smallness of the neighborhood is actually a beautiful. It's it's free. It's freedom for me. Yeah. Uh, where I lived into anxiety, um, I use in subterranean the, the title status anxiety, which is riffing off of, uh, another person's work. But um, I lived in status anxiety uh, for a long time. So um, freedom is being able to embrace that I don't have to be bigger than my neighborhood. Um, I don't have to be known uh, more than, than the person I can share a meal with across the street. Um, so anyways, it's freedom. It, yeah. It's not... Yeah, I can just say a hearty amen to that because uh, uh, I meet um, I meet a lot of these pastors who are facing burnout before they even reach the age of forty. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and it's the status anxiety, and I and I try to give them a picture or a frame of hey, let's just go live in a neighborhood with two or three other leaders. Yes. and let's just go plant relationships. And hey, you might have to just go get another job. And it might not be the greatest job in the yes. world. You might have to be, or you might have to just be a plumber. Hey, there's nothing, apprentice plumbers get paid pretty decent dough. But change yeah. the conception of what drives yes. your ego and now be set free and watch God work. Yes. I mean, watch yeah. people's lives get transformed through relationships. And over 10 to 15 years, something new and dynamic yeah. is going to happen. And it's going to be a product and impact of your life. And yes. so I just yep. thank you so much for being able to put that into words. And that's a lot what V3 Church Planning Movement does.
Yeah, I'll ask one right. more. I'll ask one more question before we actually go on to the book, the church as movement. Um, you know, you you talk a lot about the church uh, is like a tree, and mm. uh, in this book, uh, and uh, you know how you got to plant deep roots of relationship among a people, and uh, this this is a completely different way of thinking about planting a church. Yet I believe it's the way of the future. Now yes. I. I talked this morning with a pastor, uh, a Baptist church pastor. It's it's dwindling. It's down to a hundred. It used to be three or four hundred. It a lot of the people are older. Uh, they don't have families. He's saying, Dave, how can I, how can I do this? How how can yes. how can I make this shift? This is such a radical shift. Have you got any yep. advice for, for that kind of a per that person? Yeah, I I, you know, not knowing this this brother but um, or sister, whoever whoever's leading that church, I, I think that the natural tendency for someone like that is to try to create change from behind the pulpit. Um, so they're going to, you know, typically they're going to preach into existence a, a better way of being the church. And, you know, I, I would say don't, don't do that. I, I, would prevent, I would say stop short there. And I would... I would encourage them to prototype mustard seed expressions, um, which would be, you know, pastor, gather uh, eight or nine people in your home for a weekly meal, create a shared table, uh, start identifying a neighborhood that God wants you to be present in and listen to and then respond to the beauty and brokenness there. Change is not going to happen from... Uh, I think from the megaphone that we think that it has to, you know, that the, the pulpit, we're going to blast change out and people are going to fall under conviction and start to live into it. I, I really think change has to happen from imitation. People have to see a new way. And that's why I love the mustard seed as the expression of the kingdom of God. It's the most unassuming uh, thing that we would, can envision the kingdom of God looking like. And so, um, so a transitional church and a church plant really have the same, I really have to have the same starting spot. Uh, and that is gather people around your home, gain a new imagination for being together, uh, create a space of imitation. What does it look like to be with each other and in the neighborhood under the reign of Jesus as king? And let the, let the rest take care of itself. Um, that's where I would, I mean, and that's a hard thing for any pastor to believe that like that's the place to start. But um, I think any other place is really a shortcut and uh, giving into temptation for quick yeah. and like success. I like, like I like to say, Jesus started with 12. Why don't you just start with 12 yeah. around your table? Yes. Well, uh, so we're sitting here talking with Dan White Jr., and you heard just now that he does not believe in preaching. Perfect. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think you're right that sermons can only do so much. So. Yeah. So I think you've already kind of strayed into some of the topics of your most recent book, you know, um, the church as movement, which um, which kind of came came out of, if I understand properly, that your training that you do with V three, uh, and you mentioned uh, you kind of have a structure here of four different parts, and they all they all start with D, and I love alliteration, so so, so you really do believe in preaching, I, so that's good. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah. So we have distributing as part one, discipling, and then designing, and then finally doing. Like, could you just kind of uh, give us the bird's eye view of, like, what's going on in this book? Sure. Uh, you know, the book was birthed out of training. Um, so for the last four years, we've been uh, training and equipping church planners all over the country. And so we developed really this bare bones, basic, minimalistic training. Like, what does it mean 
to be the church. Uh, and so we've been prototyping that, working that out, and, and planners have been living into that. And we realized that um, the first part of training has, that has to be imagination. That's that, that is that, um, what's the first D there? Help me with that. Distributing. That's yes. where you're kind of like distributing leadership, distributing intelligence, yeah. is trying to yeah. so disperse we're, we're, maybe. Yeah, and that's where we start with churches industrial complex versus churches movement, and it's it's getting it's a shift. It's kind of an apple cart flip to see the church differently, so that you can um, distribute the church differently. Um, and the, you know the difference between distrib- distribution and consolidation, where the church as industrial complex is consolidating power and resources, and even the priesthood is bottled up, and church's movement is really about uh, dispersing it and moving it into, it's all about movement, moving into community, moving into the neighborhood, moving, moving it into mission, um, and moving it into discipleship. And so that's, we found that most church planners, even the ones that come for us for training, still have a significant constipation when it comes to their imagination. They just were so conditioned for church's industrial complex or the empirical way of being the church that we need to uh, rustle it out in the beginning. And then as the book moves forward, it just it just starts equipping people in ways of being discipled and discipling others, living around the table uh, in community and uh, in a missional theology. So um, it's when you read the book. I don't think there's anything in there. You go like, "This is brilliant." It's, it's basic and minimalistic, but I think it's the it's it's the most potent essentials to live into. So, look so at Dan. Dan. Dan's modeling the way of humility and distribution. He's like, "There's nothing brilliant in my book." Like, <laughs> you, you I, mean, could, really I would never say that about my book. I'd be you like, was, "My book is awesome. You got to read this." I was just going to say, you you might be able to learn something here. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. Uh, but Dan. Well, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, uh, I've watched you guys put together V3 Movement. I've, I've met with a lot of your uh, the, the church planters that are working in your system. If I can, I sh- probably shouldn't have called it a system, but you know, you know what I'm talking sure. about. I got you. Yep. And uh, uh, is there like one or two things that you've learned out of all this? Because the book is quite exhaustive. Uh, l- let me just read yep. what I wrote about this book uh, here. Uh, I said, accomplishing the impossible. Uh, Woodward and White provide an exhaustive preparation for those who dare to navigate the terrain. And the terrain I'm talking about is the is the mission field, growing and cultivating churches in the mission fields of post-Christendom. Anyways, as you've been doing this the last uh, uh, two years, mm. give me... Give me one or two of the most important insights that you've had to teach and pass on to these church planters about planting and tr- and leading incarnational communities. Yeah, uh, I think the 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 thing that we face, and I I mean I think I faced I still face now is the issue of faithfulness. Um, in in with the challenge of getting a return on investment. So there is a there's a muscle that I've exercised, and most church planners have been exercising, and most pastors and most leaders have been exercising, that when you invest, you get a return, um, and you get a return at a decent pace. <laughs> um, and if you're not getting the return that you're investing in, then it's time to, to quit and move on to something else. And faithfulness uh, is a significant challenge when you have that muscle you've been exercising. So 
Um, if after uh, one year you're still sitting around a table with 10 people, um, you know, I think we're challenged with faithfulness. Uh, do we still think God is at work uh, in that smallness? And so uh, one of the things that we're learning is really to coach planters through faithfulness. And uh, faithfulness is rooted in faith, believing that God is active amongst us, even when there's not an emotional return or a financial return or maybe numerical return. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to wean off of those addictions that uh, have communicated worth to us. And so most of our church planners are struggling with, with faithfulness. I, I mean, I think that reflects this, what was happening in uh, the wilderness when Jesus was tempted. Uh, was, it was an issue of faithfulness to the work of God or to the work of shortcuts. Yeah. Uh, so I've, that's, uh... that's, that's one big thing that we've learned. Um, I I think there's a lot of pressures around church planters, a lot of pressures around, uh, you know, all the expectations that have been built up both. I mean, there's pressures financially and there's pressures in terms of expectations. What am I doing here and why? What do I expect to see? And uh, I once told uh, my district superintendent, I said, hey, we have four outstanding leader families here. We are cultivating relationships in this neighborhood here. We are spending weekly time doing A, B, and C. And then I said, in 10 years, I believe we'll have a church of significant impact in this community. By yes. that, I meant 200. Um, sure. And I remember John saying, jokingly, but Dave, my term is over in six years. Okay, so but but that kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah. that kind of reveals even yes. in a joke the uh, the 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 expectations and the pressures we all feel. Yes, uh, a thing yeah. that we developed at our church was nobody gets paid at least not yet, and uh, yeah. and now we only have we only have barely forty adults, but we have a surplus of seventy five thousand dollars a year going into mm. uh, the till to do mission with, and and yeah. we just we could go on like this for ten years. Not feeling any pressure because of all we're experiencing. Sure. So sure. these 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 I these things, man, they got to be dealt yes. with. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think this. I don't. Jeff, did you have a question? Uh, no, go I ahead. I, I I got a thought about uh, back to the book, but go ahead. Go for it. Go for it. Well, so about like the neighborhoods and presence and kind of getting out of the church. Um, yeah. Getting out of our blind spots as you. You, you know, and again, you know, I love it. Like there's the three P's of presence in the neighborhood. You talk about uh, like porches, pivots, yep. and our pathways and pivots and how we need to kind of change our understanding of these things in order to kind of make our way into the neighborhood. Can you like summarize some of the stuff that you're talking about just for the people listening and so they maybe yeah. have an aha moment? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if I can deliver an aha moment, but the, uh, um, my, my, I guess my challenge when I first planted was how do I help people move beyond idealism when it came to the neighborhood um, and sentimentalism? Like, we love, lo- you know, we love local. How do I get them to actually, in concrete ways, start mm-hmm. to touch and right. feel the place they lived. Um, David, uh, his name is David S- uh, Simon, uh, talks about life world. Uh, he's a sociologist. He says we all have a life world, and most of us want to live outside our life world. We want to be, we want to live bigger than the place that we're in. And so, my challenge was how do I lead people into concrete practices? And so we came up with that cute four Ps there: porch, 
uh, pathways, pivots, and parish. Um, and some would probably view it as reductionistic. You know, you're kind of reducing it down to. Um, but in my context, and then in our training, we, we realize that for the average blue-collar parishioner, they need concrete ways to start organizing their life that gives them eyes to see and ears to hear where they live. Um, so porch is just symbolic of your home. Um, and, and most people view their home through, like, the lens of, like, protective security rather than sacred hospitality. It's, you know, the home symbolizes my protection from the world, um, seclusion. And so how do you... St- we're trying to guide people into like how is how do you start viewing your as your home as a way that God stewarded you a place of hospitality for others and you know picking your pathways where do you walk on a weekly basis where do you drive on a weekly basis naming those things putting them on a list seeing them communicating them with others uh, pivot is the place that you you kind of park you know it could be McDonald's David Fitch it could be um, a coffee shop. But I have pivots that I feel some sense of responsibility to every week to be at um, and then gain eyes and eyes to seniors to hear what the kingdom of God is doing there. And then parish is really a bite-sized chunk of your neighborhood. It's like it's it's small enough that you can you can you can understand what's happening there, but 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 big enough to to kind of belong. And so we walk people through those four P's. Well, you skipped uh, when you skipped the pathways. No, we didn't. Yeah, oh, no. No, yeah, no. You yeah. weren't listening. That's all right. Yeah, that's... I, was speaking, I was speaking too fast. But oh, you, pathway, all right. Pathways are, 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 is, are the paths that you journey every day. And so some people start to negotiate their pathways, which means um, they, they, they realize that the pathways they're taking are not really through their neighborhood. So for me, my, my kind of shift was that I realized I wasn't walking my neighborhood. Um, so I... You know, in the path, I'm like, I want to walk my neighborhood at least every day. Now that seems uh, unsexy, but it, it's it's changed my vision. Now I'm I've met George at the at the bus stop. Um, I'm talking to my neighbors more often. Um, I'm having holy exchanges and holy interruptions that I wasn't having before because I'm respecting my pathways as a place that God wants to dwell. Um, can I ask so a? Uh, can I put yeah. in a little uh, extra oomph here on the pathways? I got one. I got one word for you, and I'd like you to comment on the relationship of this one word to your concept here of pathways. Are you ready? Yeah. Cigars. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure that's a pathway. Cigars. I mean, come on. You light up a cigar. You take a yeah. walk down the block. You there stop. You, you talk yes. with somebody. You just know yes. that people are going to be relaxed. They're just, oh, he's smoking a cigar. I think I'd like yeah. to smoke a cigar. Yeah. Let's smoke he's a cigar. He's probably not a pastor. He's smoking a cigar. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Okay. I just, I kind of, I kind of, you know, I kind of see Dan with his very cool hat. He's the wearer of cool, cool hats. Cool hat and a, and I'm a, thinking more of like a, a pipe. Of a pipe, yeah. I knew so you were going to go with the pipe. I was thinking more of the pipe rather than cigar. Can you speak into this dispute that Dave I, and I are having? Well, here's, here's, I don't smoke cigars and I don't do pipes, so. But pipes I'm, does I'm, begin with the letter P. Yeah. Pathways, that's, pivots, that's, that's true. That's perish. True. <laughs> <laughs> we're yes. going off the rails here. Bring us back, <laughs> yeah, that's Dave. Good. That's good. Well, um, I think, know, by the way, that analysis is really helpful uh, yeah. and so um, impactful. Uh, I take walks for purely to keep my health going, 
and I can think about the many times I've stopped. There's a potbelly bar in my town, which begins with the letter P. Man, yes. you just can't get away from the letter P. And there's there's a black barbershop in my neighborhood, and I, all because I walk these same pathways. Yes. Have yes. I got have I got to engage these places? And I, I just think that that uh, that's yeah. so instructive because most people, most Christians. Sad to say, don't yet have an imagination for the way God works through these practices, which is also yep. a P. Yes. Well, I know I know a lot of people, just for all of our listeners, uh, you know, you could talk about missional, missional church, what is the mission of God? And it's always, it's, people are like, I don't know what that is. It's so vague. It's like blah, 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 blah. But this book, The Church as Movement, it's just, uh, you know, it really makes it concrete. It's very practical. Um it really kind of just walks through the concepts. It's super helpful. So thank you so much for taking your time to yep. write the book, to engage in that training. I'm really excited about it. Cool. Yeah. What's the next book you're working on? Well, ah, is it a secret? Uh, no, I'm working on a book called How to Disrupt the World. Oh, it's the angry book. See, Dave started with his no, angry book. No, no, actually, this is my hopeful. My, subterranean was my angry book. Oh, okay. How to Disrupt the World is really seven practices of love. So... I'm, I'm looking at how love disrupts the world, uh, peacemaking, uh, table fellowship. Uh, I'm just looking at different practices that are really love practices that Paul used as remedies uh, to, um, for co- co- communities in conflict. Excellent. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm... Sounds okay. great. That sounds yeah. great. Well, if you want to help me with my angry book at some point, because I, I haven't written it yet. Maybe uh, do, I you sh- have, do you have any anger in you? Are you an angry dude? Not, about? not really, not really. But, but you know, it seems to work for you guys. So I feel like I missed a step. Yeah. Listen, listen, my wife says I'm I'm an old man in a young man's body. So I'm a curmudgeon at heart. <laughs> <laughs> Get off my lawn, <laughs> my missional lawn. I'm sitting on my porch to be hospitable, but don't touch my flowers. Is it yeah. that that kind of thing? All right. Well, I don't believe that for a second. Well, excellent. It's not. Well, Dan, thanks so much for taking time to. Uh, to join uh, on our on our podcast, spend some time with us. We love everything you're up to and how you're committed to your neighborhood and your family. And uh, uh, God bless you and this new uh, family member that you uh, yeah. that you mentioned. Yes. So yes, blessings on that. And by the way, uh, Dan, I have a uh, a new room in my basement, and uh, I I have a deluxe uh, guest suite with shower. Everything private down. It's it's so look, just anytime you're in Chicago and it's right by the train station in Westmont, just come. You got the key, it's all yours. Come Oh snap, I gotta get there. Only requirement you have to have one meal with the Fitch family, but I'm sure you can make time for that. Oh, that's quite the invite. Sounds good. You know, now that this is going to be on the air, all your other friends are going to expect that. So, hey, everybody, you can come to my house. <laughs> only, uh, only requirement is one meal with the Fitch family. But just so you know, if you come on a Saturday afternoon in the fall, Dave will be watching Wildcats football. So don't just, mess just, with just my Wildcats football. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Dad. Thanks again so much. Yeah, peace to you guys. See you along the way. Yes.